Welcome back to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. My name is Wayne Kimmel, managing partner of 76 Capital, the sports tech venture capital company. And on this show, I interview top sports entrepreneurs, athletes, and executives who are shaping and many times changing the sports business industry. And this guest truly has changed the sports business industry. I am really excited. We're going to talk about the business of sports. We're going to talk about what it means to be a trailblazing and game-changing executive with Donna, with Donna Orinder, the CEO of Orinder Unlimited and founder of Generation W. Donna, welcome to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. Wayne, it's great to be with you, the top tech sports company. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. It's so much fun to have you here. I can't wait to have this conversation. I mean, uh, you're, 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 you're amazing. I mean, I, as I said, trailblazing, game changing, you're so passionate about the world of sports and business and, and just changing the game for everybody and talk about changing the game. Woo! We just had what an amazing NCAA tournament. Well, I, you know, it's interesting. I'm coming off, uh, you know, whenever you air this, I want it to be evergreen for you, but uh, as you mentioned, I'm the founder of Generation W, which is this national thought leadership event. I started, it's focused on women, it's inclusive. Um, and our theme this year was the positive and the possible. Thinking about, in my whole life, I thought about what's positive, what's possible. As I worked at the WNBA, what's positive and what's possible? What do you want to see for equity and inclusion and all these things that matter so much to me and you know people that I know? And then um, I end up going up to Augusta National for the Augusta Women's National Amateur Championship. And the fairways and the byways are filled with people cheering on these young amateur, up and coming professional, potentially women pro golfers. And my heart is filled. But then of course, it never gets more filled than the NCAA championship. Is this not the first year? It's March Madness. And it truly is an experience. Every time I turned around, all the things that I would hope to see, right? There's Sue Bird in a, in a commercial. There is um, Coach Staley in multiple commercials, right? This is becoming part of the cultural speak, if you will, the cultural presence. There's that great commercial well, of, of these two guys that are fighting over a Coke thing, but they're using like Tamika Catchings. They're using actual women references in terms of sport in addition to male. And that's the whole thing. Don't leave. The reason we have Women's History Month is because we're left out of history. And so I sit down and I watch the semifinals. It couldn't be more exciting. Of course, Dawn trying to bring her team undefeated, right, through the season. She's an amazing woman, amazing coach, an amazing leader. And they're playing Iowa. What a story. I've had a chance to watch Caitlin Clark and her team. And I'm mesmerized, mesmerized. And I start getting texts, Donna. This is generational shifting. This is generational changing. I watched every single minute of this game. I was riveted. Those were from men, you know, male leaders that I knew. And I'm like, this is amazing, right? And then the championship comes and there's Kim, who I know from way, way, way back. She comes out in her, right, tiger suit. <laughs> you kind of love it. But, but you know what? When they showed the pictures from her playing back at Louisiana Tech and those pig, those pigtails, I was like, wait a second. I remember her. I didn't, you know, I remember exactly when she played. Right. We played, I believe we played Louisiana Tech at Queens College at Madison Square Garden. So, you know, I played, I had the privilege of playing on the first women's game ever played in the Mecca of basketball. And no matter where I go, I will say that. Sometimes I get challenged in North Carolina, but not by a lot. Uh, it was a dream that I never dared dream. You know, it's interesting that you have dreams 
that you wouldn't even know that you had until you get there. And I think our first year we played Immaculata. I think our second year we played Louisiana Tech, if I'm not mistaken. Louisa Harris? Yes, I'm not mistaken. Um, in either case, uh, Kim Mulkey's always been a force of nature. But anyway, to watch the game and then to find out, right, 9.9 million viewers. I mean, just here, you know the stats because you're, uh, you're a numbers guy, but it's really worth saying that it's more than previous season's sugar orange cotton bowls, beat the season average for thir Thursday night football on prime. It's more than every Stanley Cup final game since 1973, every MLS game on record. I mean, what more? Or let me, let me put this way. What a defining statement at long last that cannot be ignored. It cannot be pushed aside that women's sports are here to stand up on their own, to be appreciated, to be at, to be um, um, really worthy of the accolades that we've been worthy of so long. But you know what? I think there's a seismic shift right now. And I'm extraordinarily happy, <laughs> happy. I can't even tell you. Well, look, you, you have an unbelievable perspective in from being the commissioner of the WNBA, being an, uh, in a, in an amazing athlete, a hall of famer, you know, as a, as a player. I mean, you've did so many things that you've, that you've been involved with, but tell, tell me, did something change this year? Was it the fact that, you know, the, were the, players able to just were they playing at a different level this year was the was the competition better like was there did some was something different you know I, I it's really interesting when I ran the WNBA I never worried about the product I always thought the athletes were amazing and there's always generational discussions among fans you know is it um who is the greatest NBA player who is the greatest NHL player okay whatever that makes for great chatter these women were always great. You mentioned Diana and Sue, phenomenal players. What's happened is all of these players, going back to Annie Myers and Carol Blaisjowski and probably even before them, my coach who's 90 years old, right? Lucille Cavallis playing in, in the playgrounds in New York City, is that the world finally, our society, our culture has finally caught up to understanding the value of these athletes and creating an environment where their skill set can be applauded. Right. Where the economics, I always said that I went to the WNBA thinking I was a sports marketer. I was an anthropologist. I was working on the cutting edge of commerce and culture, understanding how people felt. And you know what? How people feel about women and women's sports and women's place in sports, the economic value has dramatically shifted. And it has taken a very long time. Forever, ever, ever grateful all of us should be, men and women, because this isn't just about women. When you lift up women, you lift up the world. All of us are lifted up. And Billie Jean King, honestly, God bless her. God bless her and everyone along the way has helped to make this happen. And it's not just women, right? It's clearly men because life is a team sport. And if we're going to win, we're going to do this together. And this is really a winning time, I think. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. It's really exciting. And again, you've you've been in the middle of it all, right? As an athlete. And I'd love to hear your story. I mean, like, you know, let's why don't we go back to the beginning, you know, from, <laughs> and, 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 yeah. And 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 share with 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 all of us, you know, your story and in, in, you know, growing up, you know, playing in college and and how you then progressed to the PGA tour to WNBA and how you got there and now all the things that you've done since. 
Well, listen, like many young girls, I love sports. Maybe, but during my time, maybe it wasn't many. Maybe it was a few. But I love sports. I loved everything about them. But I also was attuned to the fact, and I recognized this in retrospect, not at the time, that the young, my, my male friends, all of them received a lot of attention, right? They had resources. They had access. And I think somehow I internalized that sports was a pathway to all of that. And so in addition to just loving to compete, right, to win, um, to understand the physical capabilities of my, my mind and my body, um, I understood that, that sports really created, it was kind of like I think of uh, Dorothy in the, <laughs> skipping down the yellow brick road. Like, and who knew that the riches for sports were what they are today? But then it was just about access, I think, and recognition and appreciation and college scholarships, which we didn't have, all those kinds of things. Um, and so I played everything. And ultimately, I settled in basketball as the sport I wanted to pursue most. I just love it. To me, it's poetry. It's dance. It's, um, it's, it's mathematical. It's geometry. I, I, I love the teamwork of it. I love the way the ball spins and then tickles the net. All those things. Matter of fact, I still shoot today. I love it. Um, and so I, I, there wasn't that many opportunities. I ended up playing in the Rutgers League. Nancy Lieberman was coming up at the time. I would drive my father's car to Harlem. I didn't tell them often that that's what I was doing, but it didn't matter. Wherever there was a game, I would go. Uh, and eventually, um, even though I had a scholarship to one of the top academic colleges, universities at the time, um, I wanted to play basketball. <laughs> My parents thought I was crazy and uh, maybe they still do, but it's a good crazy. I always remind them, mom, dad, it didn't turn out bad at all. It turned out pretty well. And I ended up playing for one of the greatest collegiate coaches, at basketball minds and Lucille Cavallis at Queens College. Top 10 team every single year. We ended up you know, making history at Madison Square Garden. The team before, I, I mean, I was actually 15 years old sitting in the stands watching them play for a national championship versus Immaculata. And I think there's a movie that's been made about that as well. And I'm like, oh, my God, like as a 15-year-old, this is what I want to do. I want to be here. And uh, I had this amazing experience. And just I'd like to always remind people, it doesn't matter where you are in your career, where you're in your life. I really do think our lives are kind of a circle. And you should always remember that you will be passing through multiple people in your life multiple times and to appreciate them all and the experience you have. But I was invited to celebrate Title IX at this big uh, luncheon it was uh, started by a friend of mine who sadly passed away. But it celebrates basketball. And there's like 350 men. And they invited us to rec be recognized for 50 years of Title IX. And my coach, Lucille Cavallis, was with me and I was with her. She's 92 years old. She's a world tennis champion now. But to be able to sit with her and talk about those times, it's just remarkable. To celebrate her as she celebrated me is like the richness, right? The riches of life. But she was extraordinary and she was tough, but she taught us how to play the game. And to this day, her lessons remain with me. And I always like to remind us too about the powerfulness of coaches. And we know that there's bad coaches and good coaches and they all have impact on our lives and our kids' lives. And so I'm really interested now in trying to figure out ways that we can improve coaching for our kids because the impact is just so important. And um, when you don't find the right coach, right, it can be really debilitating for some. Are there certain traits or, or um, certain qualities that you think good coaches have as, as versus the bad coaches? Well, I think great coaches understand that they're there to help their athletes succeed, excel, grow. 
And most of the time when you have these coaches, you're in, you know, you're in these key developmental times of your life. So understanding that the development of young people, right, has markers and you need to understand them and work with them and that it's not about them. And I think that's really important. And so often, like now I'm a mother of athletes. My kids have come through the system. You can just see the, the coaches who really care about kids and want them to be better versus the coaches that feel like, and listen, I understand. We have a system that says, especially in Division One athletes, you win or you're fired. Um, it really gets in the way for many, I believe, of the responsibilities they have to develop young people. And I know like people say this and either agree or harshly disagree, but I think it's something continuously worthy of our focus. Certainly, certainly really important. I mean, you, so you trans transitioned. Well, after you played professional basketball, I played professional basketball and I'll never forget. You wanted a story is I was playing at Queens College and the CBS Sports Spectacular, which at that time was the show. And Phyllis George, God rest her soul, was the announcer. And she interviewed me and she goes, well, do you ever think about playing professional basketball? And I said, how can I think of that? Right. It's, it's not before me. There was no professional basketball. And yet three years later, right after I graduated and way too soon in my basketball career, I get a call that says, hey, we're starting a professional league. Would you like to come and play with us? And I'm like, wow, I was going to graduate school at the time. I wanted to be a social worker. I wanted to make an impact on the world. I thought that would be a good way to work with people. And um, I would go to school. I would get my assignment. I would sit in my car. I would do my homework. I had a, you know, a practicum. So I was actually working with teen girls at a high school. And then I would practice. And then I figured after a year, I could always go back to school, but I couldn't always go back to playing ball. And so I dropped out of school, didn't finish my um, MSW, but I, I literally got a PhD in life. Amazing. Amazing. And so how, how did you transition from being a player to getting into the world of, of sports and, and business? How, how, did, how did you make that jump? It was interesting because as I played, I always had great relationships with my uh, with who became my friends in the media. Right. They wanted to talk. They wanted to do this. They wanted to do that. I got invited to do a lot of media things. I had my own cable television show in Chicago. Um, and so from that experience, uh, what was it called? Oh, I don't remember. It was actually it was about Jews and sports, believe it or not. And it had its own. I had a, it was on cable television. And so like, oh, what was it? Vita Blue, the uh, Reinsdorf, the owner of, um, I think the- The Bulls. The Bulls, um, the owner of the White Sox. It was, it was fantastic, it was fun. Um, and then I also did some sports announcing. And so be between all of that, I got a great understanding of how the media industry and sports began to work. And so when my career was over at the ripe old age 23, um, I, able, I was able to get a job at ABC Sports and you know, they were the network of the Olympics at the time. They had all these amazing, you know, rights. And I got to, I got to be there and it was great. It was great. That's amazing. It's amazing. And then, you know, so, so from there, take, talk, take us sort of the, sort of the next couple steps of. Yeah. So I spent some time at, at ABC and I had, a, and it's, you know, I always like to say, I feel fortunate when I speak to up and coming business students um, or people in business is that I had this opportunity to work at a big public company, um, Capital, I think, uh, what is it? Capital Cities came in and bought ABC at the time. Um, so you have this big, you know, behemoth of a company. And then I got drafted, if you will, by the Dolans, who at that point were building rainbow programming. So in a sense, it, cable sports and the RSNs, which we all know what's going on now, 
they were developing and they said, come work with us. And I did. And so that was like a challenger opportunity at the time ESPN was coming up. So I got the, a, a chance to be at a smaller challenger kind of company. And then ultimately I started my own company after um, a little while. And so when you get to work out of your own pocket, all these different perspectives of how you work in an industry was incredibly valuable as I developed my, um, my business career. But ultimately what I did was I ended up working for the PGA Tour. They came and recruited me. There was a man that said, I want to create NFL films. I want to create NBA entertainment. I'm going to create PGA Tour Productions. Will you come work with me? And I was like, I really loved working where I was at Rainbow. It was a great job. Um, <laughs> I actually had this great conversation with the guy who I had no idea who our paths crossed way back then. It was really fun going down memory lane. And I said, you know what? This sounds like a great opportunity. Why not? And so why not has become a thematic. I gave a TED talk on why not. And um, off I went and we built uh, PGA Tour Productions from scratch. And it was a fantastic thing. I spent 17 years at the PGA Tour. Um, I had a little blip in the middle where I started my own company and then they invited me to come back and then they ended up buying my company. And, you know, I, I created and helped, you know, lead global development of programming and production and distribution and digital. And, and I loved it there. I thought, you know, the PGA tour, that's why I'm still living in Florida. I came here to be there. New York city girl living in Florida and North Florida at the time was rather unusual. Um, but you know, you come to embrace the uh, rather unusual and then it really works. That's, that's incredible. It's an incredible story and, and, and love and love how it's all progressed. And then, and then how did you end up, you know, and I believe the next step was the WNBA, correct? It was, it was, it was, it was interesting. How did you, how did you, how did you get connected with, with the, with, with the powers that be at the time there? Well, it's interesting. Um, I always loved basketball and they knew that. And when I had my own company, um, David Stern at the time had a pet project. It was called Coach to Coach. I mean, think of like for any of you who love, uh, love basketball or, or, or even production, um, and he said, listen, I, oh my gosh, I just put this together. He wanted to teach youth coaches how to coach better. And so they came to me and they said, hey, would your production company do this for us? And I'm thinking, I have died and gone to heaven. This is unbelievable. My coaches were Billy Cunningham, Bernie Bickerstaff, um, Rick Pitino. I mean, every top NBA coach at the time was in this video. And I was directing them and I was, and it was all of their top offensive and defensive strategies. My favorite was a Detroit Pistons coach. Um, come on. You're going to have to help me remember his name. Cause I love you. He was always, was, it, was it before it was Chuck Daly you're talking about? Chuck Daly. Yeah. I mean, love, love, love Chuck Daly. He was amazing. And so we created this home video and the NBA took it and then they distributed it. And so we always became friends and Adam Silver became a great, great, great friend. And then when the time came when they were looking for somebody, I wasn't really looking for anything. I was comfortably ensconced, if you will, in a corner office doing, you know, you know, I founded um, PGA Tour Radio when people thought that that was the craziest idea ever. We, I developed ShotLink, which now is the basis really of their entire digital business because we at a very early stage, I saw that if we could grab data, that we would be building this database that would be invaluable and give us great insights, not only about our players and how that could be used for a um, production and programming purpose, right, for entertainment, but also for their own benefit, right, in terms of their own athletic performance. 
And so as we see that playing out today, um, that turned out to be a really great investment by the tour. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, Adam Silver called and said, hey, listen, we're time for a change. And would you be interested in coming here? And I was like, wow. Wow. Like, I had to think about it. I, I wasn't an immediate yes for me, even with everything going on, because it was very comfortable. My family was here. And so what, what year was this? 2005. That's when I started, 2005. I finally said, yes, yes, I have to do this. It's time for me to pay it forward. Everything I felt like I achieved, I achieved because I was an athlete. People have been amazing to me. I developed incredible businesses with credible teams and people that I work with who were so good to me and I was so grateful. But I love that the team aspect of developing all of this at the tour was great. But it was time, it was time to pay it forward and to take all of that knowledge, experience uh, and gratitude and see if I can put it into play um, in developing something more for women in sports. And so I said, I'll be there. And I showed up. So who were some of the, the top WNBA NBA players at the time? Well, you know, it was Lisa Leslie and it was Diana Taurasi. It was Sue Bird. Candace Parker came along. Um, you know, Ebony Hoffman was one of my favorites and still is to this day. We keep in touch. I, I, there was so much great. Oh, Lauren, um, Lauren from you know Australia, who's like won multiple, multiple MVP awards. I'm still in touch with these these women. I they were phenomenal athletes, and the, uh, they played at such a high level. I, I, as I said before, they set the bar high, and they loved the game, and they played because they loved it. Um, but we all know it wasn't because of the money. Although now we hope that that will catch up. So what are, what are some of your proudest moments being the commissioner of the WNBA and, and what you did over the, the six years when you were there? There's many. I mean, I, there's many, but I always have this moment. I can feel it somatically in my body. It was a championship game series. And it's be playing, uh, it was the Indiana Fever. And I always loved, at that point, it was Conseco Fieldhouse. I know it's had a couple different names, but I always loved that. It's kind of a retro arena. And I went up to the top and I was walking around and it was filled up. And I knew that, that some of the Colts were in there. I think Peyton was there. Peyton Manning was there. And I said, this is the promise. And this promise can be delivered because I am standing here right now seeing it. And I just want to make sure that we remain committed to delivering that promise. Um, I think every, every game that I was able to go to, and have um, and, and meet fans. I loved being there, meeting the fans, seeing the families, seeing the people that loved the game was always fantastic. But we did a lot of really innovative things there too. We, I think the first sport, um, there was TriCaster, it was called TriCaster at the time, but we were the first sport that created an unwired syndicated network for our fans. Everybody, they call it OTT now. In a sense, we were the first OTT network and it was by necessity because we couldn't get the kind of coverage that we felt we deserved. And we had fans whose needs were not being met. And so we went and we did that. And we also proved to be a proof uh, creator for a lot of other sports because if we did it, right? And then right. we needed to make revenue. Um, clearly needed to make revenue as every team does. And I went and saw a great friend of mine up in Seattle. I would consider Todd a great friend and a mentor. And we sat down and we said, Todd, what are we going to do? Look, I would we talked about this idea of creating patches. And we all knew that patches for the four big sports in America was kind of antithetical. Like, now nah, we don't do that. They do that in soccer in Europe. But you know what? The more we worked through it, came up with a business plan, thought it was a great idea, came back, 
worked it through the NBA system. And we always knew that if the WNBA did it, which we did right out of the box, uh, I think Rick Welts also was really a big fan of that. He had come up with a plan as well, that at some point the NBA would do it too. And they did. And then, of course, Major League Baseball and, and um, the NFL, everybody did. And I just want to say on this show here that the WNBA led the way. And they deserve the credit for leading the way because it was an important move that that made for the business of the league that proved that it worked. But we also knew that it broke a boundary for all other leagues as well. So, pretty well, you know, I've, I've had the, you know, the honor and, you know, to be able to, you know, talk with some amazing commissioners, um, people across the, the NBA over the years. Uh, was fortunate enough, you know, to to be able to call David Stern a friend um, and a co-investor, and all the things that we, you know, we did together. And um, you know, it was, as you know, got the opportunity to interview him in November of 2019. You know, just a few weeks before his untimely passing, and just his stories were were unbelievable. And I remember some of the stories that Val Ackerman has shared with me about working with him over the years. And so. He, I'm sure that that you have a few or maybe just one one or two really good David Stern stories. You know, I think everyone sort of smiles and laughs and because I and luckily, as I say, I got to know him when he was more like a grandfather, um, not that not, not as like a, a he was never my boss. So. Yeah. And um, yeah, he was you know, he was a demanding boss. And I think that everybody would agree that he was demanding. He taught us all a lot. He was brilliant. His capacity for um, consuming all different types of information and knowledge and learning uh, was inspiring. All those good things. Um, I'm not going to give you the story you might want, but I'll give you a story because it's very meaningful to me in that um, David was really responsible for creating a um, organization within an organization called Sports for Youth inside the UJA. And um, what it did was it created an opportunity for the sports industry to come together and raise money under the auspices of the UJA to, for kids who otherwise wouldn't have opportunities to play sports. And um, I guess early on, they came to me and asked me if I would be honored. I think it was right after Russell Wolf was. And Russell Wolf from ESPN and I are fantastic friends. And I said yes. And I've been on the board and the chair ever since. And David would come in every year and say, David, we're going to, no, 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 no. But it's a tremendous legacy to him because we're, I don't know how many years later, we've raised millions and millions of dollars. Kids are getting that fundamental joy of playing, that access to physical activity. They're doing what we do in our industry that we love. And, and I just think it's so important. And ultimately, um, two years ago, we asked Mrs. Stern, Diane, whether she would allow us to name our leadership award, which we do every year, the David J. Stern um, Sports for Youth Leadership Award. And, he, and she said yes. And so this year we're going to be giving it to an incredibly worthy commissioner, uh, Jessica Berman of the NWSL. And we're really excited about that. Um, but I, I, I take that from David in terms of the good place of his heart, of wanting to give back, of wanting to change people's lives. Um, and the fact that I get still to work in his name doing that is very meaningful. You know, Donna, you went exactly where I wanted you to go. Um, <laughs> it's it's really where the 
you know, one, again, one of my last public conversations with David went where he talked about what he did around NBA cares, what he did with his trips to South Africa to see Nelson Mandela and how important sports is and how sports can really change the world and does truly almost on a daily basis. Truly does every day. And, you know, we all look at the elite levels. I always say, I always say that when I give talks, I'm like, I just want people to play. Are you an athlete? I don't, you don't have to be an elite athlete. I just want you to play. I want you to get out, especially, you know, we come off this incredible period of isolation, of loneliness, of digital technology, taking us away from each other as we think it's bringing us closer. And yes, it does both. But there's nothing quite like being on a field or a court or in a backyard or on a beach, batting a ball around or dancing or with a ribbon, whatever it is, that ability to connect with people, to try to achieve a goal in a game or a sport, no matter how good you are, is life-changing. It truly is. And, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, I really caught my eye, you know, during the, the whole pandemic when we were apart for a long time was the work that you were doing with the Maccabi games um, and, and all the shows that you were doing. Talk a little bit about, you know, what that was like and all the amazing people that you got to talk with and, and, and share stories with. Um, well, I, I've been on the board for the Maccabi games for a very, very long time. And that is because early in my business career, I had just started working at PGA tour productions and um I was made aware that they had these games, these Jewish Olympics, if you will. They are the second largest sporting event in the world. And this coming game from the 25, watch out, it could be the largest. And I really wanted to play. I, I wasn't done playing basketball. You know, I had a short career. I came to it a little bit late. The idea of wearing USA on my chest proudly, playing in Israel where I'd never been. And um, my boss at the time, I said, listen, I'm going to need three weeks to do this. He said, if you do it, you're, you're, you don't have a job. You're done. I'm firing you. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I love my job. And I really did because we were building a great company. And obviously, you know, the end of the story is PGA Tour Productions got is still now PGA Tour Entertainment. Very proud of the legacy there. And I said to him, I am not going to look back on my life and say, I wish I did this. So I'll tell you what, I will stay here and I will work as hard as I can until the time for me to go. But then I'm going to go. And God bless him, <laughs> came back to me at the very, very end after I suffered greatly and said, okay, when you come back, you have a job. And off I went to Israel. Um, and it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. Again, a sense of community. Sports brings together all different communities. In this case, it was a Jewish community from around the world. And for those people who don't know, in this time of anti-Semitism, we are such a small blip on the world population. Yes, outsized impact. But even so, for us to be there to meet Jews of Mexico and, and Ukraine and Russia and uh, Argentina and Cuba, it was extraordinary. And not only that, to be able to play again. And so I love playing. And uh, it the life-changing moment, they're all life-changing moments. But when it came time to play the gold medal game in the U.S., the team I was on was going to play Israel. And this is a long time ago. And the Israeli women came to us. They came to me and said, hey we are playing in a high school gym and the men are playing in Ramat Gan Stadium. We think that's an injustice. We will not show up to play this game. <laughs> and I'm thinking, just about lost my job. My parents spent a little fortune, not to mention all the women on my teams whose family spent fortune, and we're not gonna get a gold medal game. 
And we thought about it and we thought about it. We're on the bus and all of our, like all the leadership are going crazy. All we had to do is step on that court to get a gold medal. We didn't. We didn't. Because we figured that the medal, the gold, the silver, the bronze, whatever the jewel was, wasn't as important as honoring these women. And you know what? It's interesting today, the work that I do, when we talk about that women, every, it, how women are treated anywhere affects all of us everywhere. So 25 years later, 25 years later, I am sitting courtside at Madison Square Garden because I went to every Liberty game if I was in town, always bringing people to the game, bringing my young sons and their friends. It was, it was extraordinary. I loved it. Like, listen, I loved the game and I loved the fact that I can try to help grow this business and build it, a sustainable business built around strong women. And a woman comes up to me and she goes, Donna, and she had an accent and I knew exactly where she was from. She goes, you may not remember me, but I remember you. She was on that Israeli team. And she goes, we can never, ever thank you enough, all of you, for what you did for us. And I'm thinking, is that the most incredible, is it irony? Is it, I don't know, I don't know even what the word is, that here I am, never seeing that I would ever be the leader of the WNBA. But in all, my history, along with a group of amazing women representing the USA, we took a stand that afternoon to say, we're going to support the women of the world, the women of Israel because we think they deserve better and all of us deserve to be respected. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Donna, this has been incredible having you on our 76 capital sports leadership show. You are a true leader. Um, you're someone who is not only changing the world, you have changed the world. And as we, as we wrap up here, um, I got to ask, you know, so, so, so what's next? You know, it's something that, you know, you say, why not? Or, you know, I think that you're, right? you know, here, here at 76 Capital, we're always about what's next. And so, so what do you, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, I, well, listen, what I think. You, or, or, in fact, I'm sorry. Or what are you going to do? I'm doing it. I'm really extraordinarily proud of the exponential growth in Generation W, Generation Wow. We just received this huge million and a half dollar grant to grow our teen girl mentorship and leadership program. But I'm also on the board of a public company and we are merging with this really technology focused, um, I think, forward leading uh, platform tied to telcos. That is where I think the world is going. And this company has built called Digital Virgo. We hope to close in about 60 days. I have the most amazing apart partners in sports. Um, you know, David Falk, everybody knows as Michael Jordan's agent. I hear that every day now. Do you know David Falk, Michael? Yes, I love David Falk. Um, John Miller, great friend who was, actually I met him at the NBA. You know, at one point he led um, AOL and has done many, 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 many things and continues to do that. And of course, Harvey Schiller, everybody knows uh, the Brigadier General, General Schiller. Uh, and Ken Shropshire. So we're uh, Bill Duffy. It's an incredible team that will bring this business that has had 14 out of 15 years uh, positive EBITDA, yet hasn't been in the US, North America or Asia. And so we are really exciting about bringing potentially this one destination hub for content, entertainment and services backed by the telcos in terms of billing ease. We'll expand billing options along the way. Um, I've always wanted to be involved in a public entity like this. And here we are. And we're really, really excited about it. Well, that sounds amazing. Best of luck with that, 
with everything that you're doing, keep making it happen and, and changing the world. And you, again, too, and you too, like really, honestly, really appreciate this so much. This is great. Really appreciate it. Thank you.